you're going to now rule. So he has given us authority. So if, if the earth isn't, if it's a mess, if our political, um, the political arena is in a mess, if your life is in a mess, we actually have the authority. That's what God's saying. I want to hand it over to you. Now, in my experience of being a parent, it's sometimes very irresponsible to give, to hand over authority or to give instructions where this person, if, if that person, if my kid fails, then everything, everyone will be influenced. So, so what, what's now happening now in our, um, in our house is it's excellent. I love it. Like Eva is eight years old. Julia is two. Julia still has nappies. And then I can just tell Eva, Eva, can you exchange Julia's nappy? And that's she does a brilliant job, so I've given her authority, and, but she's doing an amazing. So, so yesterday, um, Eva is away. She's doing a park run with my wife because my wife's so fit. She's just brag and bragging here because we're in a bragging culture. And, um, and Eva's not there, and I'm busy with something. I think I'm brushing my teeth. And then Julia, I, I, I think Julia has a nappy. She needs to be, the nappy needs to change, be changed. And then I tell Nicholas, hey, Nicholas. So very irresponsible. So then Nicholas like, yeah, why not? So he, he grabs Julia. Julia lies on the floor and they exchanges the nappy. Actually, he does a great, does a great job, but it could go, it could have gone so, so wrong. Or often you only find out after, like after a while, if the nappy is put on the right way. Who of you have had that experience? You pick the baby up and there's just stuff coming down. Okay, so, so God gives us authority. He says, the earth is yours, and I'm trusting you, and I'm giving you responsibility over the earth. So the definition for authority is this. The power or right to give orders, make decisions, and enforce obedience. The power or right to give orders, to make decisions. We see Adam and Eve, they're naming all the animals, for instance. They're making the decisions. They can choose against God. That's, that's maybe giving too much authority to human beings. We can choose against our Creator. We can choose to kill. We can choose life. We can choose death. And then also we can enforce obedience. And we've seen, we've seen this, even with with the stories of, of looking at Mozambique's, Mozambique's history and like obedience being forced on, on people. So God gives us this and he says, I'm trusting you with the earth. I'm trusting you not only with the earth, but I'm also trusting you with your own soul and your own spirit. In other words, we can make decisions that will not only hurt our environment, in other words, the people around us, it will, can also hurt us. So internally, we have authority. We have authority given to us for our souls, for our decisions, where, where we um, put our desires, the direction of all, um, where we turn to when we, when we love. All of that was given to us internally and external um, responsibility. So maybe just to interject here again, just to understand this authority and how powerful it is. Because God, He created us in love, in His image. So He needed to give us 
authority to choose from our heart to actually respond to his love. Because if I don't give somebody the ability to respond to my love, for, say for instance, I, I want to have a relationship with George. I like him. I like the way that he presents himself. I like what he's doing in life. And I want to have a relationship with him. So in other words, I love him. I want to be close to him. But if I want to stay true to the identity of love, I must give him the option to say no or yes. And some of us, like boys, guys, we have experienced that. You have went after this lady, this girl, you thought she's pretty, you thought she, maybe there's a, there's a possibility. And then because of, of her ability to choose or George's ability to choose, she chose against you. In other words, she said, no. So God had to give us authority over where we will place our love, where we will, which things we will love, who we will worship, else he would go against his very character, and that's the character of love. So now we have something very powerful. Human beings have something very powerful. We have authority, and we have the ability to choose. All of us. So this is inherently who we are. And, and it would have been fine if we always made the right decisions. But now we know that in the beginning, in Genesis, Eve got deceived by the devil and she made the wrong decisions. And then what is called the fall of man happened. So now suddenly Adam and Eve, by being deceived by the devil, they actually chose against God. They said, God, I'm not going to listen to you. I don't believe you are for me. I don't trust you. And I chose against you. And we actually, we, we gave over this authority to the devil. So we have been given authority, but now the devil comes. He actually wants the authority. He wants to rule and reign over earth. He wants to rule and reign over your soul, over everything about you. And he deceives you to not listen to God and choose against Him because He knows if you're not for God, then you are for the devil. You are for Him. And in life, there's only two options. You're either doing it for God, you think you're doing it for yourself, but you're actually doing it for, for the devil. You're playing in His arena. You are playing in His, in his field, on His field. So let's... Let's read together Genesis 3, 1 to 10. So I want you to turn to the, somebody behind you, not only with people that you know. Um, and then we read together Genesis 3, 1 to 10. Okay, so one person in the group, just read together. Okay, So when you finish, just high five the people in your group so I know that you finished. Great, you can turn around again. Okay, so, so now we've been giving authority with the apple of God's, with the crown of God's creation, the apple of his eye, and the devil knows it and he hates it. So then he comes to Adam and Eve. He doesn't, he doesn't storm the Garden of Eden with a bunch of AK-47 warriors. He comes in with what? He wants a thought. He wants to seduce them, to lure them away from God with a thought. 
He tells him, he says, hey, no, you won't, you won't die. God's lying. In other words, you cannot trust God and God is not for you. He's actually hiding the good stuff. He's only telling you to do this because he doesn't want you to become like him. Not with AK-47 warriors, with the, with the army, but with a thought. Okay, so we on our journey to getting to this idea, what is the most powerful thought to entertain in our minds in, other, in, in order for us to live like God wants us, us to live? So then we see, we see they, they're full of shame. They realize they've messed up. They actually hide themselves. Because now, before that, they were... There was perfect harmony between humankind and, and God, and they were walking the God, and God was communing with them. There was intimacy. They, they were speaking with God. God, were, God was speaking back at them. And then the shame came, and actually they hid themselves from the very goodness of life, which is God. How sad, what a sad reality. They had everything going for themselves. They messed up. Then they, they came into into the devil's domain, and the devil started taking charge. They, in other words, he was given authority in the eternal reality over their souls, over their emotions, over their thought processes, and also the external reality, what, what's happening in the garden, what's happening on earth. They handed all of that over to, the, to him because they obeyed a thought. And then the shame and all these things happened because Satan knew if he could win the inner game, if he can win the thought life, if he can win in your heart and in your mind, he will have authority over your life, what you are thinking, what you are feeling, but also he will win in your circumstances. So you can see the, the devil's deception here. You can see the devil's strategy here. So then if you go through the Bible in the Old Testament, you see this constant thing of, of the Israelites and God's people trying to get all of that back, trying to get the authority that they've given over to God back. So God says, hey, you're actually just going to hurt yourself. I'm going to need to put in external measures just so that you don't hurt yourself. So here's the law, the Torah, because you, you can't get it from me straight anymore because there's been corruption the airwaves, it's been corrupted. You won't be able to hear me as clearly. I need to give you something. So I give you the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. It's full of different laws. And, and by that, you'll be able to be safe. And you'll be able to be obedient to who, who I am. And you won't mess up too much. But then we see it's been always God's desire to actually get back into our thoughts, into our minds, and to, into our hearts. If, if you read the prophets, you read that God's constantly speaking to his people, hey, I want to get back into their lives. I don't only want to control them by laws, because I want to be with them. Moses had to build the tabernacle, the temple, because God wanted to be with them, because he is love, and love, if, I, if I'm loving my children, then I want to be with them. And if I can, I want to be in them. And that is who God is. So we read in Jeremiah 31, 33, we read exactly this. He says, this is the covenant that I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. 
I will put my law in their minds. So what, what, God, what God wants to do is He wants to overrule. He wants to overturn our submission to that thought of deception that He cannot be trusted and that God is not for us. He wants to rewrite. He wants to format the hard drives of our minds to put Himself in there, to put His law. And law, when you think of law, just think of, of God's ability to communicate with us. And I will write it on their hearts. So, minds and hearts. And you see God was wanting to get into His people again. I'll be their God, so there will be a relationship again. There will be communion with, between God and, and mankind again. And they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me. Because he will be in them. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness, and I will remember their sins no more. Powerful. So this is the desire of God is to be in us, in our minds, our hearts, and to remove all the sin, everything that's, that's been put between us and God. All those obstacles. All the confusion. He, all the shame. He wants to remove that to get into us. And then we see that Jesus did exactly that. And we know this story. So Jesus on that cross, he dies. He speaks a blessing. He speaks forgiveness to the people. And through the cross, the atonement for our sins, that is the cross, we can actually be, we, we are squeaky clean, and we can be in the presence of God. We have access to God through Jesus. And not only is Jesus on the cross, He's also raised on the third day, which represents the victory over the devil which also includes giving us back the authority that we lost in the Garden of Eden. So I want to read to you this scripture in Revelations 1, 17 to 19. It says, When I saw him, so it's John speaking, seeing Jesus, I fell at his feet as though dead. And then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I'm alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. So Adam and Eve gave the keys to the devil saying, hey, you have authority over our souls, and you have authority over the earth. But then Jesus died on the cross, he paid for the sin, he paid for everything, every transgression, everything we did wrong, and then he went down to Hades, he kicked the devil's butt, he took the keys, and he says to the people that's with Jesus, hey, I have all authority, authority over your souls, authority over your, over your family, I'm giving it to you, if you stay and remain in me, it's already a powerful thought, okay, do you, do you follow this journey, so we need to look at how Jesus modeled this life, how he modeled this thought life, how he modeled this life of feelings, because it's so important to not only think of, okay, great, in my mind, I know that God is good. 
Sometimes we know that God is good in our minds. If I ask you, who of you believe God is good? You'll say, all of you would say, because you're raised in church. You're amazing. You know the answer is always, yes, God is good. But then you experience some difficulty. Maybe a loved one dies, or maybe you don't get that breakthrough that you're praying for or fasting for, or maybe you just struggle with your relationships. I don't know what you're going through. Then your thought is, the thought is still, oh, it's incredible. God is good, because that is what the Word says. You've been taught well by our parents. But in your heart, it says, it actually doesn't feel that way. And then often, our hearts, because we relate to God through our hearts because He's relational. The heart, the feeling that is, it doesn't feel that way overrules the thought in our minds. Okay, so we need, to, we need to look at Jesus' life and see how He models and also how the Father speaks to Jesus so that we can understand that we, there's a powerful thought that we can keep in our minds as the truth, but also in our hearts, as the truth, so that we can do what God has called us to do. Because we are in the context of obedience. We're talking about this in the context of obedience. We need to change this city, by the way. We need to change George. We need to change Mozambique. We need to see just justice being done in, in South Africa, in the world. But it often starts here and here. So that's where we go. So we see Jesus, he comes to earth as a baby, and then he walks the earth. Then only when he's 30 30 years old, his ministry starts. And it's a very significant moment when his ministry starts. We see he goes to John the Baptist. John the Baptist baptizes him. And what happens? Heaven opens. and, And God speaks from heaven. He speaks these words. He said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. The first time God audibly in a crowd speaks to Jesus are these words. So if it's noted in the Bible, if these are the words the people heard, it is obviously important. And then we see God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes upon him and it represents The law, who God is, coming into us, into Jesus, Jesus being model of what a Christian should look like. The Holy Spirit coming into us so that we can have intimacy with God. So God's not only saying, hey, I want you to make a decision to follow me with your soul, your mind, your feelings, your personality, everything. I'm actually giving you the grace through the Holy Spirit to do that. I want to come inside of you. And we see because of the anointing of the Holy Spirit, Jesus does all the miracles as a model for us on how we should go about doing life. You cannot do it without the Holy Spirit. You cannot do anything that is going to have a significant impact in this life without the Holy Spirit. But I want to I stay with those words. This is my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased. And then we see in the book of Matthew, he repeats that. They go up to the mountain, Peter and and James, and Jesus, and John, and they spend some time with Jesus, and then God speaks again, again audibly so that other people can hear, this is my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased, listen to him. And there's only one other 
mention of God speaking audibly to Jesus, and it's in the Garden of Gethsemane where, where Jesus is asking, hey God, I just want you to glorify your name. And God speaks to the crowd and he speaks to Jesus and says, I've already done it and I will do it again. So those are the three mentions in the New Testament of God speaking audibly to Jesus. And why is that, why is that noted? I think it's because it's important. So here is the most powerful thought. The most powerful thought is what you think and feel about what God is thinking and feeling about you. What you think or feel about what God is thinking or feeling about you. Because what are we doing during worship? We are saying God, and a lot of the songs says, God, you are worthy. You are everything. God, you are incredible. You are bare. You are the one that is in charge. You are the one that I want to follow. You are the one that I obey. You are my everything. So now we, we're telling God this is who he is. So if that is who he is, he is the most important personality. He is the most important God thing in our lives. Then his thoughts will matter. But often we go through life, we don't know what he's thinking about us. And a lot of the time we know in our minds that he loves me. Because you've heard it over and over and over again. The Sunday school teacher, remember, Jesus loves you. Even watching VeggieTales with my kids last night, then the, the little guys just said, remember, Jesus loves you. But a lot of time it's only in our minds, but it's not in our hearts. And they say, this is the longest journey from your mind to your heart, the nine-inch journey. So this is the most important thought, and it will determine everything that you do, is what is God thinking about you? So here's the answer. The answer is, God modeled it as a father, as a good father, when he spoke to Jesus, when he said, this is my beloved son. In other words, I love him, and I'm well pleased with him. And the great thing about it, if you read it in context, it is at the start of Jesus' ministry. It's not when he, when he went through the cross, all those pain. It's not the end. Probably got it at the end also. But it's at the start. So even before he does anything, with regards to his assignment, why he came to earth, God's like, I love you. And love says, I love everything about you. I like you. I want to be with you. I'm pleased with you. I'm proud of you. All of that is included in that statement. And then he repeats it again. So here's my question. Do you believe that? Do you believe it in your mind? And do you believe it in your heart? That God loves you and he is well pleased with you. Sometimes the, the love part we can, can sort of understand with our minds. And often we struggle to just grasp it with our hearts and we struggle to feel it. Just, God, but all these things happen. Are you, do, you really, do you love me? Do you really love me, God? And all of these things 
Abner, I thought I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm going to church. I worship with my hands right there. But all the things. So there's, a, there's an invitation for us to get to know God to the point where this becomes true in our minds and our hearts. So that's loving. So God is well pleased with you. I can tell you that. All of you. No matter what you've done, God is well pleased with you. Why can I say that? Some of you are thinking, no, but I messed up yesterday. I spoke to my wife in this, with this tone of voice. I messed up with my kid or I went through a divorce or whatever. But I can tell you God is well pleased with you because that's how God the Father, how he spoke to Jesus before he did anything. And this is why I can say that. So yesterday, so this is after, I think it was before the nappy thing happened. My kids are, they're at each other again. And they didn't want to share. So I went and I gave them a hiding in the bathroom. And while I'm giving them a hiding, I can honestly say as a father that I love them and I'm well pleased with them. Even though they've behaved in this way. I love them, and I'm well pleased with them. So here's, here's the thing that I want us to take through 2020. Is you need to think of every thought. You need to be obedient to these words of, of God the Father over your life. Every thought that's not in line with that, that He doesn't love you, you need to take captive. Like 2 Corinthians 10, you need to take it captive. You need to say, this is not, this is not true. Because the devil is going to come just like with Adam and Eve, not with a, a, bunch, a big army, AK-47s, trying to destroy your life. He's going to come with a thought. And yes, he uses circumstances. So your circumstances are falling apart. Your financial situation is falling apart. So then the devil is not interested only in in destroying your circumstances, the devil is interested in getting into your heart and into your mind. So you're like, oh great, so in these circumstances, I can say, God loves me. Okay, so I'm going to give you five things that clouds this truth. The one is, you're not fully surrendered to Jesus. If, you, if you're there, you know that. Somewhere down the line, you're going to get deceived because you are not fully surrendered to Jesus. So you just go, hey, God loves me. He is good. I can trust him. He's for me. Let me just surrender everything to him. It's the best decision you're going to make. It's hard. It's sacrificial. But you need to do this. We all, we all get to that place every now and then. Oh, shucks. I actually try and be in charge of this area of my life. I'm horribly, I'm a horrible leader in being in charge in that place. So the second one is, is sin. If you are willfully, willfully sinning, what's going to happen? The devil's going to use the sin. He's not only interested in the action. He wants again, he wants your mind and your heart. So maybe, so this is how, for instance, you deal with pornography. So now you failed. You watch pornography. So the devil is like, great. I've got this guy. He's watching. He is a, addicted to pornography. But the thing that it's actually after is where you get to the point, and this is where the big open door happens, is where you say, 
I'm actually, I'm a born addict. This is my identity, and God doesn't love me. He doesn't care with me. He doesn't care about me. He's not well pleased with me. And if you get to that point, then the devil has you. But when you watch porn, you just say, okay, sorry, Jesus. I'm so sorry. I hate watching porn. I know this is not who I am. And I know you still love me. And I'm not going to be like Adam and Eve, but I'm going to take Jesus' donor on the cross. I'm going to take his death serious. And I'm going to go to Jesus. I'm going to say sorry. I'm going to get accountability. And I'm going to get back at it again. Because you are well pleased with me, even if I fail. Unforgiveness. It clouds the words spoken from, from the throne room and the words coming at you, the words of affirmation that God loves you. Undealt hurt. No, but, yeah, God loves me, but when I was three, this thing happened. And because of that thing, I don't believe in my heart that God loves me. So you need to deal with that. And then, not, ex- not accepting of, of discipline. So you don't want God to discipline you. You don't want God to tell you, hey, you know, I'm well pleased with you, I love you, but I want to change this area of your life. Maybe this anger issue, maybe this thing that you, the way that you speak to your, to, your, to your family, the way that you do this. Because the Bible says, if the one who is a father in Hebrews 12, it's because of his fatherly love for us, because we are sons, Therefore, he discipline us. And if we don't accept that, we won't be able to hear the most powerful words in all of the universe. God loves me. He's well pleased with me. So the thought that we need to keep in our minds all the time is that God loves me. That he is well pleased with me. So let's say this. God loves me. And he's well pleased with me. Okay, let's close our eyes. Let's say it again. God loves me and he's well pleased with me. So while every eye is closed, Lord, I pray that that, that you do a, a sovereign and a supernatural work right now that you connect our minds with our hearts now, that we will know, that we will know, that we will know that we are loved by a God that constantly coming after us. You're not actually even waiting for us. You are right there with us. You just want us to accept this love through Jesus. And God, I ask that you also reveal to us pleasure that you feel over us in doing everything because you rejoice in who we are as your sons, as your daughters created in your image. So while every eye is closed, if you're in this, if you're in this room and you're still you're trapped by the lies of the devil, you feel like I'm not loved by God. He or He's not pleased with me. You in, in any of these categories, then I want you to just quickly just put your hand up very high.
thank you, Jesus. You can lower your hands again. You can open your eyes again. Yeah, so we, we need to work, we need to work on this. I want to challenge the dads, I want to challenge the parents, I want to challenge the friends that we need to challenge people with this. First of all, we need to model what God modeled to us in, in communicating that He loves Jesus and that He is well pleased with Jesus even before He did anything. A friend of mine's got asked at school, his son got asked at school, he had to just finish the sentence, my dad is proud of me, blah, blah, blah. So the assumption was that he would say, my dad is proud of me when I pick up my clothes. That's, what, that's the assumption. And then his son just said, my dad is proud of me because I'm his son. That, that is well taught, well modeled by the dad. So we need to model this. We don't communicate love. It's not, hey, I'll love you. I'll be well pleased with you just because you've done something for me. So that's the first part. We don't communicate that way. That's not how Christianity works. That's not how God works. And the second thing is we need to challenge each other whenever there's an action that doesn't line up with that we are well loved by a God and he is well pleased with us, we need to say, hey, Warwick, this thing, why do you submit to this shame? Why do you submit to this insecurity? Why do you submit to this lie, this deception from the devil? And then you pray with him right there. Great. 